Hello, and welcome to this all-new episode of Close Talking. I am your co-host, Jack Rossiter-Mumley. And I am your co-host, Connor McNamara-Stratton. And this is the podcast where we read a poem, talk about a poem, and then read the poem again. Today, our poem is Armor by Sharon Olds. And quickly, before we get into our discussion of that, our bi-monthly polite request. We have at times called it a plea, but that seems a little bit dramatic. So, you know, kind of entreaty to leave us an old rating and review over on the iTunes store, uh, also known as Apple Podcasts, because those ratings and reviews... Number one, warm our hearts, and number two, help the podcast get lifted up that old algorithm, and it helps us find new listeners. So if you've got a second and you have a couple of kind words to spare for this old hunk of coal poetry podcast, we sure do appreciate it. (laughs) We do indeed. So today we are talking about Armor by Sharon Olds, an excellent poem by a truly exceptional poet. Um, Sharon Olds is probably one of the bigger names in contemporary American poetry. She was the Poet Laureate of New York from 1998 to 2000. She has gotten fellowships from the Guggenheim Foundation and the NEA. She's a professor at NYU and perhaps I could be accused of burying the lead here, winner of the 2013 Pulitzer Prize for her book Stag's Leap, uh, which is about divorce. Yeah, no. Um, and her uh, one of her early books, which I think the poem Armor was published in, uh, The Dead and the Living, is like remains one of the best selling poetry collections like in the U.S., I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. And she kind of um, it's interesting. She has. So, she, I mean, she writes a lot about like, um, I don't know, it's like personal, often domestic, like, issues, and often, like, she's, uh, like, often women's sexuality is, like, a very big part about her, um, of subject of her poems, um, to a degree that, uh, the critic Helen Vendler, who's, like, one of the preeminent she's like the herald bloom of poetry if you could say so both <laughs> in probably dubious of distinctions <laughs> yeah yeah good and bad but she calls sharon old's poetry pornographic which is crazy because i mean that's just an absurd thing but um i think it's it's interesting because now she's also one of those poets i think she's like 77 um where i think uh, in a large part because of her work that was like pretty no one was writing like things um you know about the topics that she was writing about at the time um and it was like pretty bold and you know um like i think like risky work or whatever um now feels like it's it's not as her poems are no less powerful, but it's not sort of like, I think as taboo as it might've been, you know, when she was like first publishing, which was, I think like, you know, the early late seven, I think her first book came out in 1980 maybe. Um, and so, yeah, but I think that it's not as taboo in part because of the, like 
the incredible quality of her poems, but also the fact that she kind of forged ahead unflinchingly writing um, about these topics. And like now she's canon. So it's like, you know, all this, all the younger generations of poets like kind of have permission where, you know, like she had to make the permission for herself in a kind of way. And as you noted, there was clearly a huge audience for the type of work that she was doing. So it kind of added on to the fact that there wasn't a voice like hers out there in that there was also a hunger for that voice. Um, yeah. And, and as you so rightly noted, her influence is evident in just the landscape of poetry that has come since. Yeah, it actually reminds me, and then we should we should get into the poem, but... Uh, I just saw, and I think you did as well, the great movie Little Women, um, which I'm currently obsessed with. And there's that line, because Louisa May Alcott was in her own day kind of like a version of Sharon Olds of, of you know, um, writing, you know, about women and about issues that were, you know, traditionally not thought to be the stuff of novels or whatever. Uh, but there's the line in the movie that's like, uh, I think it's between Amy and Joe, and it's like, uh, Joe's like, you know, art reflects like what's important, and then Amy's like, I think art can confer what's important, basically. Like it can, and writing about the domestic or writing about women um, is a way of making those issues like important. Uh, you know, not just like holding up a mirror to the world, but being like, this is the mirror that you should be looking at kind of thing. Absolutely. So shout out Little Women. I love little it. Little Women. So good. <laughs> Fantastic. So without further ado, on to Armor by Sharon Olds. Just about at the triple-barreled pistol, I can't go on. I sink down as if shot beside the ball of its butt, loaded with mother of pearl. My son leaves me on the bench and goes on. Hand on hip, he gazes at a suit of armor, blue eyes running over the silver, looking for a slit. He shakes his head, hair greenish as the gold velvet cod shirt hanging before him in volutes at the metal groin. Next, I see him facing a case of shields, fingering the sweater over his heart. And then for a long time, I don't see him, as a mother will lose her son in war. I sit and think about men. Finally, Gabriel comes back, sated, so fattened with gore his eyelids bulge. We exit under the huge, tumescent jousting irons, their pennants a faded rose like the mist before his eyes. He slips his hand lightly in mine and says, Not one of those suits is really safe. But when we get to the wide museum steps railed with gold like the descent from heaven, he can't resist. And before my eyes, down the stairs, over and over, clutching his delicate, unprotected chest, Gabriel dies and dies. Whew! I'm so really good. into this poem, uh, mainly because I like how it is a very 
kind of straightforward and easy to grasp scene that she goes so many places with because in a little break from our last few episodes that have been a little bit more out there, we can actually, I think, do a little bit of a play-by-play in this poem. Uh, the basic narrative is like a mother and her son visit the armor exhibit at the museum. Yep. And the mother speaker doesn't like it. And the son does. I mean, that's also the, in the most, in the simplest terms, I think that is, yeah, that's the overview of <laughs> mother and son visit armor exhibit, have different experiences. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Pretty uh, much. Um, but I like yeah. the, the kind of subtle ways that she teases out the different layers of complexity of what's going on for her during that uh, visit, because I feel like there's also a lot of attention paid to what is going on for the son as well. And I think that that there's a version of this poem that just focuses a lot more solely on the mother's experience. And yes, it would be reflecting on what her son is doing, but I like the amount of attention that's paid to giving us a hint at what she thinks he's thinking about and how caught up she is not only in her own reflection, but in like trying to penetrate and think about what he is getting from this experience. Yeah. I think that's really right. Yeah, this poem is is so good because it is there's so many dynamics to the mother-son relationship that are kind of being got at like on the most kind of basic like level like a theme that's being explored is just kind of like masculinity and like the way that like boys are raised to glorify violence and see this like you know the suits of armor the guns all this stuff as like cool shit and um that like that's you know kind of like the the height of you know being a man or whatever um and it's kind of like on you know one level is like the speaker the mother is like watching you know her son basically be buying into that like before her eyes basically uh and being yeah and just having a lot of feelings about it um which is really interesting that idea about uh sort of witnessing her child taking on I guess, social ideas of masculinity and its relationship to violence or just the way that masculinity is performed is something that she explores in a couple of her other poems as well. Um, one of the really famous ones is Rite of Passage, which is this scene at her son's like seventh birthday party where he and the other boys are sort of talking about who they can and can't beat up. Uh, and so that's sort of a theme that runs through it. But I think this is a, a little bit more of like a, a pointed examining of that. That topic yeah no I, I really think you're right um and it's such a it's the way that it you know like um what you were saying about like the straightforward scene like I love I feel like that's so important to this poem and does so much work because basically like you know you can think of this poem as like uh it's like 
point A to point B to point C to point D, and each like thing is like another object that the sun is like looking at. And then like as he sort of approaches each thing, there's like a new like dimension or layer that the mother like either feels or witnesses or something like that. So like in the very beginning, it's like you get the bit the pistol and she's like, all right, I'm out. Like I this stuff is not for me, you know, like I don't find it interesting and like it's brutal and whatever. Um, and then, you know, like, uh, you know, the sun goes on and then is like gazing at the suit of armor, um, like blue eyes running over the silver. Um, so there we like, we don't quite, um, we're not quite like to the sort of thematic, core but we're like the son's interested in it the mother is not um and then it's like he shakes his head hair greenish as the gold velvet cod shirt hanging before him in volutes at the metal groin it's so in, it's so uh colorful and like descriptive which i think gets at like i think what you're saying about like the war games and how it's uh you know like they're not just the they're not just weapons like they're they're the ornaments and like the kind of performative like uh, accessories to war and to violence uh and like there you get this sense of like his hair is like the the gold velvet cod shirt um and then you know there's like uh you know, the metal groin and, you know, you start to get the, like the image of, you know, just that it's, this is a boy thing. I don't know. Like the fact that it's the groin, just, it's like, like once, cause eventually you get to the, <laughs> the two meth, the two messant, uh, jousting, uh, things, which is so hilarious and amazing. And like two messant is like a word that I had to look up, but of course it just means like, swollen because basically you're aroused and so it's just like these giant phallic jousting whatevers um but the use of the word tumescent is like so funny because it's just like such a beautiful sounding word um and i feel like you start you start at the groin and then you get to the tumescent um so Anyway, um, and then, like, you know, he's, like, fingering the sweater over his heart as he's, like, facing the shields. Um, he, it's like she's watching him, uh, you know, basically become, like, sort of, like, aroused by the, um, you know, the armor and the displays. Definitely. Um, the huge tumescent also great sounds. Yeah, um, and I love the idea of a couple of knights like jousting at each other with giant like penis jousts. Yeah. Um I mean there is penis fencing in the uh in the animal kingdom. There's some some animals that engage in what is referred to by scientists those dirty birds as uh penis fencing, which is quite literally what they're doing. Um but you're right, wow. there is sort of this like phallic through line of various stuff i mean it starts with a gun which is you know it looks kind of like a penis it like explodes stuff out of it you know uh there's like 
there's a lot of phallic symbolism in yeah. uh in weaponry swords and whatnot and then also in terms of what is the weakness in all of these it's like a chink in your armor or is this poem terms it a slit which i think has obvious you know female genital connotations here um but there's also running through it this sense of excess which you were also sort of getting at there's these huge tumescent jousting irons he's fattened with gore his eyelids are bulging the initial uh item that sets this whole poem in motion it's a gun but it's a triple barreled pistol like how many barrels do you need you know it's like these (laughs) implements that are the vast excess of you know potential violence and you can understand why they would elicit these two reactions that there could be this kind of intense fascination or this revulsion and not that war or weightlifting competitions have to be gendered but in terms of how it operates in this poem i feel like there is a similar drive to a weird excess uh that she is identifying as at least culturally something that her son has been primed to accept in a particular way and what i think is really interesting is that in addition to cataloging how that's happening to him she also then gets into how he is even recognizing the inherent dangers and uh like threat that lies in it because when she describes him looking at the shields and fingering the sweater over his heart it's almost like he's thinking about how do i protect my heart like you know what is my own vulnerability here sweaters are soft the heart isn't easily punctured you know part of the body uh but then even later on when the one time we hear him speak and he says not one of those suits is really safe like he knows that there's no sure protection from the world of violence but also is then like immediately drawn into acting out his own death yeah i think that that is like a really interesting component of the poem that he's not coming out of this exhibit saying like i can't wait to be a knight in shining armor or i'm so excited to like sword fight with devon later uh he's recognizing that there's no way to be 100 percent protected uh and i'm sort of curious what your thoughts are about that realization coming towards the end and then being followed by him like doing a clutch and fall death down the museum stairs yeah no uh, i love all of that it's really interesting because it's like it's also possible he just like because you know it's like he slips his hand lightly in mine and says not one of those suits is really safe um it's almost like there's also a way to read it where like he gets it but like what he really is perceiving is like that his mom is like this fucking thing is stupid and I'm stressed about it. And he's like placating like, Oh, like I know it's all silly, but then it's like, clearly he's so wrapped up in it that he immediately is like doing that thing where you're just like, Oh, ah, I, I am slain, you know, in the Shakespearean sense. Uh, and like, I don't know, which I certainly have done. And it's sort of like enjoyable to have that dramatic, like, oh, like you're crumpling to the ground and you're clutching your heart. And I definitely have the home videos to prove that I did that as a child. Yeah. 
Which is interesting because it's also, you know, you're bringing up like the protection because like there are mentions of, you know, the weapons like the pistol and the jousting iron, but like the title, you know, is armor and a lot of it is about the shields and this end is like, you know, uh, clutching his delicate, unprotected chest, Gabriel dies and dies. And what he's acting out is like, not like killing someone, although of course that is like certainly part of the the kind of masculinity that um, is sort of being interrogated here. But it's like the dying part that is also the the glorious or like fun thing um and which which yeah i don't know it's it's interesting um and it's also like the other parts that are interesting are these like two moments that are like pretty intense like that are these like similes that happens one is at the beginning and the other is at the middle where just about at the triple-barreled pistol, I can't go on. That's how it starts. I sink down, line break, as if shot, uh, you know, beside the ball of its butt loaded with mother of pearl. So she's like, you know, she's like, I've just been, the simile is like, I've just been shot because I'm so disturbed by, I'm so hurt by, like, seeing the pistol and it's offensive to me to the degree of, like, you know, being shot with an actual bullet. And then there's this other moment where like she's sort of watching him go from thing to thing. And then he like disappears for a while, uh, like, you know, down the hall or whatever. And then it's like, and then for a long time, I don't see him as a mother will. And then there's another line break, lose her son in war. Um, which is like another very, not like, um, off topic, simile but like a quite extreme you know worry and like image to give like to you know to compare watching your son go like losing sight of your son down the hall of a museum being equipped you know equivalent uh like making that equivalent to losing you know your son in war um which, like, I think are, you know, deliberately, of course, um, you know, it's a simile, obviously, like, the poet and the speaker understand that she's not actually saying that that is as bad as the other. But it's, there's these interesting parts where the imagination, like, it's the other part, and especially how it ends with him her son, you know, reenacting his death is like, and I'm curious what you think of this is like, it's not just that she's like, oh, my son has like, you know, um, sort of absorbed and is interested and is performing this kind of masculinity that I find problematic and disturbing. But also because of that, like, A, like, he's now vulnerable in a way that he wasn't before. Uh, like, because he, like, has that, um, you know, like, that sense of himself, like, that makes him 
like you know maybe more prone to like a like later on in life in the extreme case actually enter the military or something like that um but and then also it's this it's just interesting too where i feel like there's such a and this is like it just feels cuz the way that it ends is so poignant and like clutching his delicate unprotected chest gabriel dies and dies um and a, like of course on one level it's just her watching her son do this thing but it's also like a it feels like it's a part of her son that has died where like she's like suddenly distant from her son in a way that she hasn't been before i guess which i like imagine especially like you know um for a lot of mothers you know who like haven't like been necessarily socialized like obviously in this masculine way whereas fathers may be like you know right at you like you know go get him like make sure if he punches you punch him back twice or something obviously that's not good parental advice but you know there's certainly that trope of the dad like reinforcing and being you know maybe the prime socializer of the son to like be this kind of uh to think of being a man in this way um that like when a father would see this perhaps or that kind of father it wouldn't be this moment of like uh it would be a moment of familiarity like ah like but now there's this kind of like now my son is like not just a kid like he's like a young man or like a boy and is like and that's like i can just imagine it feels like in this poem is like a real loss for the mother um because she can no longer relate to him in a particular way. I don't know. I I wasn't sure about that reading, but I really like that reading and I think it's spot on because you see a lot of moments here where that's happening and particularly at that end um which yeah, I want to come back to that in a second, but what you were saying about vulnerability really struck me because it is it's both about him being personally vulnerable because he might buy into these myths, but also in some ways, her recognizing that despite however she is socializing him or acculturating him, he is still vulnerable to them. So it's like, there's a lot going on there. But that end of the poem, I really like thinking about it in that sense of like, the sun transitioning in her eyes almost from one stage of life to the next through this experience and their divergent experiences of it. Um, because there's a lot of imagery in there that is almost reminiscent of what would be like a fall from an innocent garden, you know, like reaching back biblically, because the name Gabriel, which, you know, that's just sort of in the poem because it's the son's name. But you have this image of the wide museum steps with this little child falling down them. So right there you have the sense of this big sweep, which she says, like the descent from heaven. So you already have a sense of like a fall from heaven and Gabriel being an angel name. You have like a fallen angel going from this one state of being and through this transformation 
dying and dying down the stairs into this sort of fallen state, um, even though the word fall is not used. But, but descent, yeah. But descent, yeah. and I think the image that's conjured is of this little body sort of tumbling down these giant gilded stairs. Um, and I, I definitely see some of that going on there, for sure. Um, and as I had mentioned earlier, there's the, in the other um, poem that I know of that's really tightly tied into these themes, Rite of Passage, it's a very similar kind of watching her son in that instance amongst other boys his age and she's sort of imagining the men they're all going to become and they're all going to be these bankers who stand around and even in that moment at the birthday party they're like a seven-year-old says that he could beat up a six-year-old and they kind of argue about whether that would happen and then her son says well we could all kill a two-year-old um, and it's like this weird like very like 100% buy it little kid conversation it's just like stupid <laughs> inane yeah. kind of like Batman could never beat up Superman because he doesn't have any real superpowers he just has like a utility belt uh, yeah well what if he had a kryptonite utility belt uh, maybe we should spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a movie about this I don't know <laughs> whatever uh <laughs> But it's it's a similar kind of like here it's observing her son in conversation with a social idea on a grand scale of like adult masculinity or what it means to be a man. And there it's this more particular like socialization amongst peers kind of masculinity. Um, but I do think you see that transition because even though it's not stated explicitly we see them enter the poem together and leave it separately. And they separate almost instantly because as soon as I can't go on, I sink down, we suddenly realize that like they walked into this gallery together, she sat down, he kept going. And so even though it doesn't say, we walked into the gallery together and then just about at the triple-barreled pistol, like we don't need that, it's implied. Um, but the fact that we can see her sort of standing at the top of the stairs, watching him fall away from her at the end, I think really does on just like an image level align with the reading that you posited. And you're right. This, this could with like a traditional male figure, you would imagine or like a, a, yeah, a traditional father relationship. This might be this moment of sort of like bonding or recognition, whereas it is, it is not in this case. Yeah. No, I think that's really right. And and I think we're like one part that I that I also really love is a is a part that I think starts to clue basically is the the big cluing us in to that theme of the poem, which also um is like a great I feel like moment of poetic craft because it's kind of like a turn um where um, this moment uh, at, right after he leaves and then it's like as a mother will lose her son in war I sit and think about men uh, which I just that moment is so amazing um, for so many reasons because A it's like so simple it's probably the shortest sentence in the poem it's not even like 
like when you get to the point where in a poem you can say those simple things and it you you've basically charged the words because of like what's come before so that you only need to be like I sit and think about men and it's like oh man like that's yeah like that's what it's about um but like to your point of you know how you're describing like the excesses of you know like the the armor and the things in the museum you know is not just it's not just like as you as you're saying um the the things themselves are excessive but also the language of the poem is flowery like it's extravagant you know you have greenish as the gold velvet cod shirt hanging before him in volutes at the metal groin um you know like there's there's a lot of uh you know and then later you know you ha you have like um you know railed with gold like the descent from heaven there's this big language and this moment is like I sit and think about men. The language is very paired and not embellished and plain. Um, and I feel like it's also the moment where narratively is the kind of turn where he leaves and it's like, what will he come back as? And it's like, he comes back sated. He's like become like the the man boy like that <laughs> that he's been like absorbing through this armor stuff um and i feel like it's just such a it's such a subtle great move where it's like this short plain sentence that also carries the big thematic weight that then like because we're used to this pattern both of sentence length and language sort of texture um we're kind of ready like in all of these different ways to like head towards the end of the poem because of like how all of that shifts like in that moment um That's so true and it does sit basically smack dab in the middle of the poem and you're so right the way that the poem builds it almost has the function of turning the m in men into like a capital M because it makes it such a big statement that it just becomes about the concept of manhood almost um, or yeah. like the social idea of stereotypical manhood and what men are like supposed to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. It does that so effectively. And you're right because it is right before he comes back. And it also, as you were noting, like it almost has that like, hero's journey into the wilderness and return feel to it where like he's gone out into the wild and he's encountered all of these strange and wonderful things and she's sort of observing him doing it and how he's doing it and then he comes back changed yeah and then it ends like i feel like there's like one more slight turn toward the end of the poem which is like the the move to like the the last moment which is like the when we you know which narratively there's the turn because it's like the last action so it's like when we get to the museum steps you know railed with gold like the descent from heaven he can't resist 
And then it's like, and before my eyes, down the stairs, over and over, clutching his delicate, unprotected chest, Gabriel dies and dies. Um, and this is just so well done in so many ways because I was I was actually uh, reading this interview with Sharon Olds in the um, I think the Washington Square Review, and it was funny because she was basically talking about how she like didn't realize it at the time, but basically she loves writing in like four beat lines uh, with like a lot of sort of internal half rhyme, but like these four beat lines with like tons of enjambment basically. And that, um, and then I was like reading this poem again and I was like, Oh, that's like so right. Because there's so many of these lines are in this kind of four stress and this kind of heavy enjambment. It's like, you know, um, I was going to ask about the heavy enjambment because I feel like that's something that's almost its own subject within this poem because there's so much going on in it on like a conceptual level and an idea level, but on a craft level, the enjambment is wild in this poem. Yeah, it is really wild. I mean, so there's like, you know, um, so in the beginning, we have just about at the triple barreled pistol, um, which is like a pretty... I don't know if you would call it four stress, but it's like almost four stress. It's like just about at the triple barreled pistol, which kind of gets you to the four. I can't go on. I sink down. So that's like a short four, which is kind of cool, uh, as if shot. And that enjambment is amazing. Um, and then beside the ball of its butt. So there's like the stresses. There's a lot of, you know, it's not like you're, it's not, uh, what you would call like iambic tetrameter or something where like you have uh, like eight syllables. It's like where four of them are stressed. It's just like four stresses generally. And then there's a lot of kind of smaller syllables. So it's like, you know, as if shot and the as if is like the unstressed kind of parts. But then it's like beside the ball of its butt um, and the of its, you know, kind of thing. Um and then, yeah, there's just a lot of these moments, but then you're right, like hand on hip um, is another one, like before him in volumes, at the metal groin, um, fingering the sweater over his heart, um, as a mother will lose her son in war, I sit and think about men, um, like we exit under the huge tumescent jousting irons, uh, which is amazing. Um, and it's interesting because sometimes the, like that enchantment confused me for a moment because I was like, okay, it ends on the, which is not always, like some of the enchantments are like, okay, fingering, like that's a pretty evocative, provocative, you know, word. And you put it at the end of the line. So you're like, Okay, what's he fingering? It's kind of weird. Uh, and then it's like you get the information at the end. But then, so to end with the, it's like, okay. But then you're like, then you get to huge tumescent jousting irons, which it's like, of course you want all four of those words have its own line. One thing that Sharon Old is so good at is like you her rhythms and her forms and her lines and her sentences like are 
so smooth and like all of these little modulations and shifts and turns and things that are happening are not loud changes and like you wouldn't um like it wasn't until i read in an interview that she was like i really like four stress lines and then i was like oh maybe go look specifically at this poem for four stress lines definitely i feel you on how quiet it is because it also is like very readable like it's easy to read aloud you don't feel the enjambments in a sort of perky jerky throwing you out kind of way but they do come at these really interesting cool moments i sit line break and think about men it gives you a little bit of time to almost sit with her and wonder where she's going to go in this moment because as you were saying earlier that's a place in the poem where a lot has been built up there's a lot of things she could be sitting there doing or thinking about because um, it also comes right after she says that she, you know, loses him for a minute as a mother will lose her son in war. I sit. Is she about to, like, frantically try and find him? I, on first reading, wasn't sure if this was like, oh, is this the story of, like, the time I lost my son at the museum? And then had to find, <laughs> you know, like, I feel like there's a little room for something like that. But no, it's yeah. like everything's fine because it's not actually like war. Everything's perfectly safe. She knows that he's in this gallery it's not like he's really lost. He's just lost from sight temporarily. And she's thinking about men. Um, and I like the way that those bigger enjambments hit, but don't feel uh, like oppressive. I mean, I guess it's just obviously masculinity has been fucked up for so long. But it's funny what knowing that I think it, it was like, you know, so it came out in the book that was in 84. So it must have been before that. But it's like, I grew up and we grew up like when the violent video games were like the whole thing and you know everyone was like saying things to this effect about video games and it was just interesting to see like a poem from before that time basically saying it's just like an evergreen uh aspect of life <laughs> That Absolutely. has different textures, but like is um, and obviously like in her in the choice of the being in a museum and focusing on this armor, it extends it. It extends the, the kind of comment and the kind of thought to a much greater span of history because it's like, um, you know, these aren't like sniper rifles, you know, from you know, like World War II or whatever. I, know, I think that spread of history is really important because it's both reaching back to the Middle Ages has a very particular gendered context to it because it is like damsels in distress and knights in shining armor is like the go-to princesses and heroes tropes that are thrown around a lot and particularly the way that that was portrayed in media for a very long time, particularly in the same era that produced a lot of the classic Westerns that were more so than these films, like fundamental to shaping 20th century American masculinity. But you also have all these like knight in shining armor tales and the umpteenth retellings of Robin Hood stories, which I know were a big deal for me when I was a kid, but like they also reinforce very particular ideas about gender and violence. Um, and I think that on one level it is presenting 
all of that and sort of showing the ways that this has always operated, but it also functions as this really neat reframing of how you could look at or think about violence, which is a whole other aspect because along with the way that society often has portrayed either through art or through, you know, news presentations or whatever, like the way that war is talked about and thought about is often from the perspective of the people fighting in it. And that's often men. So it's the way that it's talked about and not just the violence itself. And that's what I think is really interesting about this poem, because so much of what this poem is about is about the potential for violence and the effects of violence. It's not about violence itself. And so much of the way that war is portrayed, particularly in cinema, but even in literature, is it's about the the sort of being in the violent space itself. Um, and some of the very best reframings of war are not looking at the fighters, but looking at the impacts on civilian populations, which are usually women and children. Um, there was a really good PBS series called uh, Women, War, and Peace. And there was a second series of it that was just done recently. The first one came out, I think, in 2011. But it was sort of based on this premise of looking at conflicts through the impacts they had not on the people fighting in them. Because if you go to find a documentary about World War One or World War Two or the Gulf War or Vietnam or any of these other conflicts, you're going to find a documentary that tells you the story of like, the battle strategies and the generals and the soldiers, but it's also about all of the displaced people and all of the sexual violence that accompanies wars and all this other sort of stuff that is in many ways just as big a story, but it's the one that goes untold. And the same way that when you go to an exhibit, an exhibit in a museum of suits of armor, the story that is often not being told there is that just the existence of that exhibit is this particular kind of fetishization of these various objects, as you were saying, conferring power on them as art, but also admiring the beauty of them uh, as a spectator has a certain, you know, there, there are implications to doing that that are easy to overlook. And I think that that's something that this poem does really effectively is provide that alternative framing to that experience. Yeah, I think that's a really, really good point. Because um, I was just thinking, like, the other thing this poem does so well is, you know, like, connect the two, you know, be a connective tissue, like, where oftentimes, as you were saying, like, these narratives of male violence are so, want to think of themselves, like, by itself. Like, just, I gotta do, like, you know, and this is like, no, they're in a world and it's filled with other people and it's filled with women and mothers and, um, you know, who are, like, often bearing incredible burdens and pains, uh, like, as men are doing their dumb shit, basically, um, that often go sort of um, like at least in the kind of mainstream discourse and like like things like that go sort of unheard. Um, and this kind of really uh, in a poignant way like 
sort of makes that that connection. Should we uh, read it again? Let's do it. Armor by Sharon Olds. Just about at the triple-barreled pistol, I can't go on. I sink down as if shot beside the ball of its butt loaded with mother of pearl. My son leaves me on the bench and goes on. Hand on hip, he gazes at a suit of armor, blue eyes running over the silver, looking for a slit. He shakes his head, hair greenish as the gold velvet cod shirt hanging before him in volutes at the metal groin. Next, I see him facing a case of shields, fingering the sweater over his heart, and then for a long time, I don't see him, as a mother will lose her son in war. I sit and think about men. Finally, Gabriel comes back, sated, so fattened with gore his eyelids bulge. We exit under the huge tumescent jousting irons, their penance a faded rose like the mist before his eyes. He slips his hand lightly in mine and says, not one of those suits is really safe. But when we get to the wide museum steps, railed with gold like the descent from heaven, he can't resist. And before my eyes, down the stairs, over and over, clutching his delicate, unprotected chest, Gabriel dies and dies.